Good morning, everyone. Let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 7. Today we will continue our preaching through the Gospel of Mark, having taken a couple of weeks off to celebrate Palm Sunday and Easter. Uh, today we return to the preaching through our Gospel of Mark, and we will return to chapter 7. Um, anybody here need a Bible? Forget one this morning or just don't have one. Our ushers are eager to get one, to slip it into your hands. Uh, just raise a hand if you need one. No shame in that. Um, I know how it is. You know, sometimes you can walk out the door in the morning and forget some very important things. And I know the enemy is gunning for you and for me, especially on Sunday mornings. He wants us to come here distracted. He wants us to come here forgetting some important stuff. Um, yeah, I, Friday morning I had one of those mornings. I, I teach classes here at 6 o'clock in the morning on Friday and I got up early like I usually do and I went through my normal routine. It was not rushed. It, was, uh, it included a beautiful time sitting with the Lord in the Word and just going through the normal routine. But, you know, on the way here I, I stopped and I bought a box of donuts because if you're going to study with me at 6 in the morning, we're going to have some donuts. And I, I, I got here and, and set the room up, made, set up the coffee maker, and right before teaching the class, I stepped into the restroom and I caught an image of myself <laughs> in the mirror. And my hair was going in every direction. You're looking at me with blank stares. You're probably wondering how hair this short gets messed up, right? Well, that was Friday before my haircut. So my haircut, you know, my hair was about this much longer and it was going in every direction. The fact of the matter is, is even on a leisurely morning, you can forget some very important things. I was wondering why that nice lady at the donut shop had an extra smile on her face that morning, but uh, I, it might have had something to do with my appearance. But that's not what we're here to talk about this morning. All that to say is if you need a Bible, our ushers will gladly provide one for you. Let's open in our Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 7. And before we do, I'd like to ask you a question. Have you ever noticed that things are not always as they appear? Ever been in the market for a used car? Used cars, uh, you know, used car salesmen, I'm sorry, if you're a used car salesman, uh, your reputation is not good. Uh, I'm, I'm not judging you, I'm just saying that used car salesmen are notorious for taking a piece of junk and making it look pretty enough on the outside or anywhere that the human eye can see that you'll actually buy it. And uh, down here, rust isn't a big deal, but where I come from, we use salt on the roads to keep the ice away. And most cars with metal fenders will, before long, have holes in them because the rust, the, the salt just eats through them. And if you go to a used car lot in the upper Midwest, you need to take a magnet with you to see if you're actually buying metal or if you're buying some other substance that doesn't have the same amount of integrity. So, yeah, things are not always as they appear. And that extends into the human realm too, right? We live in a, in a world of Botox. We live in a world of silicone. We live in a world of plastic surgeons. And things are not always as they appear. But those things ultimately don't matter because they're just on the surface, right? Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So if you and I were to sit down in a little more intimate setting than we have here this morning, and maybe in the couch room across the patio with a cup of coffee, and we were to talk to one another a little bit deeper, maybe on the heart level, and I were to ask you how you're doing, or you were to ask me how I'm doing, chances are pretty good that the first answer that would come out of one of our mouths would be, great, I'm doing good. But is that really the 
the case. Things are not always as they seem, right? If we were to sit with one another long enough and to talk openly with one another, if we actually took that risk and were vulnerable with one another, we would find that beneath that veneer of everything's good, there's some problems on the heart level, right? We all know a struggle of sin. Sim, some things are not always as they appear. And that really is the context of Mark chapter 7. We see in the early verses of Mark chapter 7 that the scribes and the Pharisees have followed Jesus and his disciples. And they're observing Jesus because they've resolved in their heart that they're going to catch him doing something that, that will make them worthy of putting him to death. And they are observing Jesus and his disciples as they eat. And the Pharisees observe that Jesus' disciples don't bother washing their hands before they eat. And they end up asking Jesus this question. He said, they say, why? Why do your disciples not follow the tradition of the elders but eat with defiled hands? You see, the appearance was to them that these followers of Jesus were, were not really honoring the purity laws before God. They were not they were, they were actually living lives that were compromising their purity or their cleanliness before God. But things are not always as they appear. And that's, that's where Jesus enters the story here. He, he calls the crowds to himself again and he begins to teach the crowds in Mark chapter 7 beginning at verse 14. Let's read this together. And he, Jesus, called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach? And is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So what is it that makes me clean or dirty before God? That's the question at hand here, right? The, the Pharisees and the scribes had one thing in mind. They thought it's very important to be clean before God and you must do that by washing your hands. That was their perception. But things were not always as they appear. And Jesus strikes out to answer this question. What is it that makes me clean or pure before God? And he says this. He says, there's nothing outside of you that going into you can defile you before God. That's what he says to them in verse 15a. And that really is good news for us, isn't it? There's nothing that's outside of you that going into you can render you unclean before God. And humans are resilient in that way. And that's good news. The Pharisees, they were all concerned that Jesus' disciples were eating with these dirty hands. And they were certain in their minds that this at least was an indication that they had compromised in their cleanliness or in their purity before God Almighty. But in fact, that is not the case. 
It's not the things that are outside, like what happens to be on your hands when you eat that gets on the food that goes into you. Those aren't the things that defile you. Jesus clearly says there's nothing outside of you that can defile you. And Jesus has been living his life according to this principle. Mark has been clear to tell us this. He's shown us in chapter one that Jesus moves toward and actually touches a leper. Lepers are ceremonially unclean because of their skin disease. And the law of Moses said that they were to be sequestered. They were to be pulled away from the general public, disregarded as unclean, and not to be moved toward because if you actually did that, you would then become unclean. But Jesus breaks that law. He moves toward this leper who said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus doesn't recoil from the unclean man. He moves toward the unclean man and even lays out a hand on him and touches him. And as he does, the purity of Jesus brings a healing and a cleansing effect on the leprous man. It's not the things that are outside of you that defile you. In chapter 2 of Mark, we see Jesus moving toward Levi, a tax collector, and eating with him, reclining at table with him in his house. And there are other tax collectors and sinners, and the scribes and the Pharisees there see this, and they look at Jesus and they, they cast judgment on him, and they wonder, what kind of a man is this who eats and fellowships with tax collectors and sinners? Tax collectors were unscrupulous folks, They did underhanded things to pad their pockets. They overcharged the public for their taxes. And they were disregarded as sinners. They were marginalized in that way. But Jesus doesn't recoil from them. In fact, he does the opposite. He moves toward them. He invited Levi to follow him, and he did. He fellowshiped with them. He ate with them. He valued them. And in Mark 5, we see probably the most dramatic evidence that Jesus is living and stewarding his life in a way that that shows us, that demonstrates for us that there are things, nothing outside that will defile us. He moves toward, as he goes across the lake and he lands in the Gerasenes, he is met with the man from the tombs, the man who has a legion of unclean spirits with him who is living in an unclean place among the tombs, among dead people, which is another no-no, right? And so he's, he's as unclean as it gets. He's as hopeless as it gets. He's got a herd, if you will, of unclean spirits indwelling him and having significant control over his life. And he's living in an unclean place. Now, if ever there was a reason to run away from somebody, Jesus had a good reason to do that. But he didn't. He did not move away or recoil from this unclean person. He moved toward him. And he cast out the unclean spirits. And at the end of the story, this man who once had been severely under the influence of unclean spirits, living in an unclean place, is now clothed and seated in his right mind at the feet of Jesus and asking to follow Jesus, to go with him and his disciples and follow him around. And what does Jesus do? He prohibits him. He puts him on mission. He says, no, I want you to stay here. Return home to your friends. Return home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how merciful the Lord has been to you. He's the first missionary in that Gentile area. 
So Jesus did not recoil from people who were unclean. He moved toward them, and he had a cleansing influence on them, living and stewarding his life according to what he is now teaching his disciples here in Mark chapter 7. There is nothing outside of you that would go into you that would render you unclean before God. Because purity before God is a matter of the heart. Look with me at verse 19. I'll back up and and start at 18. He said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Nothing outside of us can defile us because purity before God is not a matter of outward cleanliness. Purity before God is a matter of the heart. Therefore, we don't need to sequester ourselves from people who are living unclean lives, from people who are messy. We can move toward them in Christ and partner with what God is doing in them to bring them cleanliness, to bring them hope in the midst of the dirty, desperate situations in which they live. A number of years ago now, um, my family and I lived in an apartment complex. Joey and Teresa lived in that same place, and we were living amongst people that were living unclean lives. They, they, there was domestic violence that we had to rescue kids out from that. There was all sorts of drug use and abuse, and it was crazy, but God had us there, and we moved toward those people, and we sought to, to steward our lives for their good. It was messy. We lost sleep. It was scary. It's not fun to get between an angry man and his wife when he's threatening to kill her. But the fact of the matter is, is that nothing outside of you can defile you because purity before God is a matter of the heart. And that being the case, we can move toward people and give them hope. We can move toward people and if God is at work, we can actually be used by God to bring a cleansing influence into their lives. So there's no one else's alcoholism, there's no one else's drug abuse, there's no one else's sexual immorality, there's no one else's filthy talk, there's no one else's amount of dirt or dust or body odor or anything that's unpleasant that would cause our hands to get dirty, that would render us impure before God. Because purity before God is a matter of the heart. And similarly, the dirty things that you have done and the dirty things that have been done to you that have affected you in your flesh, those sorts of things, they are not the things that render you impure or unclean before God. There's nothing outside of you that moves towards you or enters into you that would render you impure before God. That's the good news. But there's also bad news. Because purity before God is a matter of the heart. And listen to this. In verses 20 through 23, Jesus tells us this. He says it's what comes out of you from your heart. That's what defiles you before God. And we are all defiled on the inside. Listen to verses 20 through 23 again. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. 
All of these evil things come from within and they defile a heart. So while it's not the things that are outside of you that defile you, it's the things that are inside of you, that are in your heart, that find their way out in these expressions listed here in this motley list. Those are the things that defile us or render, render us unclean before God. I want to slow down right now and I want to read this list again. And before I read this list, I want to invite the Spirit to give us ears to hear. And I want each of you to take a good, close look at your heart and allow the Spirit to speak words of truth in you to see if any of these are currently dwelling in your heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you now in Jesus' name thanking you for your presence among us and asking that you would send forth your spirit in abundance, that you would fill us afresh and that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would enable each one of us to be vulnerable with ourselves and to allow you to give us a picture of our hearts. Show us, Lord, the truth of the matter. And as you do, I, I pray that you would be glorified um, would you confront us with sin that we need to, to let go of, that we need to confess, that we need to leave at the foot of the cross? I pray that you would do this because only you can do this by the power of your spirit. So we invite you now to give us ears to hear as we read and meditate on this list. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. It's all these evil thoughts Jesus says. These, these are thoughts that are contrary to God and contrary to God's ways, to his plans and to his purposes. That's what these are. They're evil thoughts. They're thoughts that are only worthy of the devil and Satan himself, the one who stands in direct opposition to God and his plans and his purposes. Those are the very things that are in our hearts. Listen to this list. Sexual immorality have you ever had any kind of sexual expression outside of marriage? Any kind at all. That's sexual immorality. Look, folks, this is a sobering, sobering thing to do. And the Lord took me through a process this week as I prepared to preach this passage to you. He confronted me as I had to sit and meditate on this list. And he confronted me with the ugly things that I still struggle with in my heart. So as I ask you to listen to this list and to wrestle with it, I'm not asking you to do something the Lord hasn't asked me to do first. So let's sit under the authority of the word and allow the spirit to speak into us. Have you ever had any kind of sexual expression outside of marriage? Theft. Have you ever stolen something? Even a piece of gum. A one-cent piece of gum as a child. Murder. Have you ever killed someone? Or even harbored anger in your heart? Listen to the words of Jesus from Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. We don't need to commit the physical act of murder to be guilty of murder by simply harboring anger against a brother or a sister in our heart. Adultery. Have you ever been married 
but engaged in sexual activity with someone other than your spouse? Listen again to Jesus from Matthew 5. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The things on this list we don't even need to act out on. Our bodies don't even need to be engaged in it. It's enough for us to have lustful intent in our mind. And that can render us impure and render us guilty of this. Coveting. Have you ever desired to have more than what God has provided for you? Wickedness. Have you ever done something that lacks moral or social purity? Deceit. Have you ever taken advantage of someone through underhanded methods? Sensuality. Have you ever told or laughed at a raunchy joke? Envy. Have you ever wanted something that wasn't yours? Slander. Have you ever spoken of someone in a disrespectful way, in a way that would tear them down so that by comparison you might look a little bit higher in their eyes? Pride. Have you ever had an undue sense of your own importance? And foolishness. Have you ever done anything that lacks moral or intellectual sense? That, brothers and sisters, is quite a list. Who can stand in light of this list and in light of the way that God views breaking these laws? Who can stand? Who can read this list and with any shred of integrity listen to the Spirit and read and look at your own heart with honesty and integrity and rise up from that list and go, I'm good. None of us. There isn't one of us that can say that we're good in light of this list. Oh, but we do all that we can to hide it, right? We'll put a veneer over it. We'll paint it over. We'll, we'll protect it. When people ask us how we're doing, even though we're struggling with lust or whatever it is that we're struggling with, we'll say, oh, I'm good. Things are great. Never better. We're masters at building and manufacturing idols. We're masters at covering up this ugliness of these things on this list, the things that Jesus say render us unclean before God Almighty. We are masters at it. And yet the truth of the matter is, is we look more like the Pharisees in this story than in anybody else. We look like those people who honor God with our lips, but whose hearts are far from him. And that is a sad and a scary place to be. The fact of the matter is, is that it's not the things outside of us that render us unclean before God. It's not our outward appearance that renders us unclean or impure before God. It's our defiled hearts that render us impure before God. And we can do all we can to, to cover it up with anything But the fact of the matter is, is when you scratch the surface, what you find underneath there is rottenness. Look at this picture of this apple. Denise, you'll recognize that apple. That's the apple that you took a bite out of, right? Yeah. 
Looks good on the outside. The skin looked good. There was no blemish. It looks delicious. And in fact, the first little shred of flesh probably was delicious. But when you look in at this apple, it is rotten to the core. And that's exactly what is going on in you and that's exactly what's going on in me apart from Christ. There is nothing good in us. We are rotten at our core. We are defiled before God because our hearts are dirty before God. Purity before God is not a matter of outward appearance. It's not a matter of the way the skin of that apple looks. Purity before God depends upon our hearts. And the truth of the matter is, is we are all rotten at the core of our hearts. So we need to, in our discipleship efforts then, either as parents or as Sunday school teachers or as brothers and sisters, as fellow grace group members or grace group shepherds, let's not be satisfied with surface level behavior change as we disciple people. Let's not enable and empower them to paint another veneer of goodness and good behavior over the bad, defiled heart. Let's disciple one another with intent to go deeper, with intent to go at the heart and to shepherd the heart because it is the heart that is defiled. It's the heart that renders us impure before God. So let's look for more in our parenting than behavioral change or behavioral modification. Let's look for true heart change. And let's steward all that we have, all of our resources, and let's pray to the end that the heart of our children, the heart of those that we're discipling is actually changed at the heart level. The behavior will take care of itself if the heart is changed. And the truth of the matter is, is that only God can purify a heart. We are completely helpless. There's no amount of human activity, there's no amount of human behavioral modification or change no amount of human righteousness that we can heap on ourselves that will ever render us clean before God. God tells us in Isaiah 64 that our righteousness, human righteousness, is like a filthy rag. It's like moving toward an oil spill with a greasy rag and expecting to clean it up. The harder you work, the more you toil, the bigger mess you're left with. It's like moving toward your kitchen counter and trying to wipe off the food bits that have um, fallen off in your food preparation, trying to cleanse the kitchen counter using toilet water. You might be able to get some chunks to move out of the way, and it might look on the surface a little bit better, but deep down, if you're going to take a microscope at it and look at the microbial activity, it's, it's a worse mess than when we began. There is no amount of human effort that can ever cleanse a human heart. God, only God, can cleanse a human heart. Purity before God is a matter of the heart. It's a big deal because God is a holy God and he cannot have fellowship with anything that is not holy, with anyone that is not pure. And we catch a glimpse of this in Isaiah 6. I'm going to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. And what we find there is the prophet Isaiah who comes before God in the throne room. And he is confronted with the holiness of God. And in light of God's holiness, he is made aware of his impurity. And it strikes terror in his heart. Beginning to read it, Isaiah 6, chapter 1, or chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, 
I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah catches a glimpse of the glory of the one true God, and he recognizes that there is holiness there that's of a different category. And in contrast to the holiness of the one true God, Isaiah recognizes and he professes and confesses that he is a man of unclean lips. Perhaps he was like one of the Pharisees or the scribes that Jesus talked to, one who honored God with his lips but lived a life that was bearing another testimony. Whatever it was, Isaiah recognizes that he was a man of unclean lips and that that would not go well before the one true holy God. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Only God can cleanse a person. God sends one of his messengers with a a, a tongs and removes from the altar a burning coal and comes and addresses Isaiah at the very point that he has recognized is unpure and defiled before God. He touches his lips. Isaiah had said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. God moves right toward him in his place and his moment of impurity and God purifies him. Only God can purify a person. Similarly, God promises to do such a work in Isaiah 36, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 36. God recognizes that these people that he has they have a hard heart and they're, they're far from him and that he must intervene and that he must do so because they are helpless because there's no amount of human activity, there's no amount of human righteousness that can ever cleanse a human heart before God. God must do that cleansing work. Ezekiel 36, beginning at chapter, verse 22. Therefore I say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes." I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you 
and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The truth of the matter is, is we all stand impure before God apart from Christ and that only God can purify a human heart. And he does so by doing radical heart transplant surgery. In the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our hardness of heart, in the midst of our uncleanness, God does not recoil from us, but he does the opposite. He moves toward us. He knows exactly what is wrong with us. He knows exactly what has rendered us impure before him, and he goes right to the heart of the matter. He reaches in and he removes a heart of stone, and by his grace, he puts in a heart of flesh, a heart that's soft, a heart that can beat for him, for his ways, and for his plans, his purposes, and his laws. And he places in alongside of that fleshly heart, he places his Holy Spirit to empower us, to lead us, to guide us, to bring conviction where conviction is due, and to bring power so that we can live a life of purity before the one true God. Only God can cleanse a defiled heart. And in Ezekiel 37, he even promises to cleanse those who have backslidden, people that have have once been walking with God but have since fallen prey to sin and turned away. Listen to Ezekiel 37, verse 23. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, and their detestable things, or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned, and I will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Do you identify with that this morning? As you examined your heart, as we read this list, do you recognize that you might be among the backslidden? Are you one who has walked with God? You have professed and confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, and yet there's a real and an ongoing struggle of indwelling sin within your heart that you would characterize by saying, I, I have backslidden. There's hope because God is not recoiling from you even if you've backslidden. He's moving towards you. He's holding his arms out to you, and he's inviting you to return to him because he's promised to heal even the backslidden. And he does so because purity before God is a matter of the heart, and he does radical heart surgery. He will remove your dead heart and make you alive together with Christ. He'll place a new spirit within you that will empower you to live in a manner of uprightness, in a manner of purity before him. And this is the gospel, right? God does this with integrity. God cleanses human hearts. He cleanses dirty hearts on the basis of faith in Christ. So what renders me clean or dirty before the one true holy God? He looks at you and he examines What have you done with his offer of grace? How have you responded to Jesus? Have you responded in faith? Because God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son and he lived a a life of integrity on this earth. 
He knew the full weight of the temptation. That list of motley sins that we just looked at from Mark 7, Jesus knew every temptation on that list and so much more. And he knew the full weight of that temptation because he never once fell prey to it. He emerged victorious. You and I know some of the weight of temptation, but far too often we fall to that temptation rather than bearing up under the full weight of it. But Jesus, the righteous one, the holy one, lived a life of integrity on this earth. He never once sinned. He bore up under that temptation so that when he laid down his life, we just celebrated Easter, the resurrection of Christ, which was God's stamp of approval on his blood as an atoning sacrifice, making perfect payment for the penalty and the power of all sins. God laid on him the iniquity of us all. And God looks at you and he looks at me and he wonders, what is it that you have done with my offer of grace? Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So when Jesus lay down his life, it wasn't taken from him, but when he laid down his life, he did so willingly, not because he deserved to die, but because he knew that God had sent him to be your substitute and my substitute. He sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin and to die. The wages of sin is death. And that's exactly what Jesus endured on Calvary's cross. And as he did so, look at this image. As he did so, he bore on his body all our sins and all our iniquities. The crossbar on this image, written in red, if you can't read it, is 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And on the upright beam together with the outline of Jesus' body as he lay there, er, uh, hung there, crucified, are the words, the words of the sins, all the sins listed in Mark 7 and so many more, all of those are on Christ so that as he sheds his innocent blood, he is making perfect payment for those sins. God cleanses human hearts on the basis of faith in Christ. The moment that you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, all of the weight of the penalty of the sin that you know is laid on him. You place your faith in Christ, Paul says that you are in Christ. And being in Christ is the safest place to be because now God takes his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, and gives it to you. His righteousness now dwells in you by his spirit. This is the gospel. Only God can cleanse a defiled heart and he does so on the basis of faith in Jesus. And we see this happen as the book of Acts continues, as Jesus rises from the dead and as he ascends to the, the right hand of Father, 
And as the apostles go about preaching and proclaiming this gospel, this good news that Jesus came as our substitute, and by faith in him, we can have a cleansed heart before God. We can be made pure again before God. They proclaim this gospel to Jew and Gentile alike. And when the Gentiles believe, in Acts 15, 9, Peter says this, God has cleansed their hearts by faith, just like he did ours. So this offer that God is holding out is for you and for me, for Jew and for Gentile alike, for every human being. God offers life to you. How will you respond to Jesus? Look again at that list, that list of sexual immorality and theft and murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. If you are in Christ, all of those things have been dealt with by Jesus. If you have not yet come to a place in your life where you have trusted Christ, all of those things still are on you. That might be the weight that you're feeling this morning. You might be feeling unclean. You might be recognizing that the things that you have done, the things that you have said, the things that you have thought have rendered you unclean. Or maybe you're thinking that the things that have been done to you by others have rendered you unclean and that there's no way that God could ever clean you up. That's a lie. There is nothing that you or I could ever do that would dirty ourselves up so much that the blood of Christ can't make perfect purity of it. Though our sins be like scarlet, we will be made whiter than snow. That is the gospel. So if you are in Christ, my hope and my desire is that your gratitude for Christ's atoning work is growing this morning. And I also hope that you have been confronted by the spirit of sin that still is in your heart that needs to be dealt with, sin that needs to be laid at the foot of the cross once again so that before you walk out of this sanctuary, you can rise up in the power of the spirit and walk forth knowing that you are made pure, knowing that you are forgiven before God. And if you are not yet in Christ, today is the day that you can come and be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You can respond to God's offer. You can respond in faith. and You can surrender. You can stop striving to make yourself look good. You can stop covering up your sin and you can just open it up before God because he's not going to run. He's going to move toward you. He's going to heal you. He's going to make you new. And you'll be able to leave this sanctuary a different person, a new creation one who is being put on task by God to go out and proclaim that good news, to proclaim how much mercy he has given and extended to you, to others, to all who will listen. Let's pause now and let's pray. Grace Group Shepherds, please come and encircle the room. There might be some of you who just need somebody with flesh and blood on to pray with right now. And our Grace Group Shepherds will be here and would be glad to minister to you in that way. Some of you might just need to sit in in the quiet of your own seat and meditate and allow the Spirit to be at work in your heart. Let's pray. Father God, we humble ourselves before you under your mighty hand. We recognize that there's nothing in us that, that earns any level of righteousness or purity before you. It is only our response to your Son, our Lord Jesus, that makes us clean, that makes us whole, 
that undoes everything that the sin and the curse has done for us. Lord, we praise you that you can, be, you can make us whiter than snow. We praise you for the forgiveness that is ours in Christ and for the grace that is ours in Christ. And we ask now that you would send forth your spirit and continue this work. Lord, for those who need to trust you, I pray that they would. Lead them there by your spirit. And for those of us who need to trust you again and to lay at the foot of the cross our sin, may we do so. And by your spirit, may we rise up and walk out victorious, fully cleansed and motivated for faith, love, and good works. We praise you that this is possible by the power of your spirit. Lord Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.